So, um, quite frankly, I'm, I'm coming straight out of Kinnis, and the way the uh, shul organized Kinnis this year, they interspersed all the Kinnis that they were doing a commentary on with a pretty graphic reading of an autobiographical account of the Holocaust. And maybe not so surprisingly, but very sad, I didn't see a tear shed. I didn't hear a groan. We uh, can grow impervious to almost anything, the nature of the human. Growing up, it was actually quite different for me. I had no understanding of Tisha B'Av. Uh, we used to do Tisha B'Av in the bungalow colony. Then uh, art school wasn't in style. We only had those white Kinnis pamphlets. I had not a clue what was being said, accused of the whole day. But my grandfather, himself a Holocaust survivor, who was a chazan and like post-Holocaust Jewry was a roofer, you know, had to get a job. He was the toughest man that I knew. These thick, meaty hands, didn't talk about any feelings. He was a bulldozer, just did what you had to do. There was no discussion of the war or anything of the sort. And he got up and we made it through Guinness with out that much emotion. But when it came to the Baba Verebba's kinna about the Holocaust, he stood at the bima, his number showing, and he couldn't speak, couldn't get any words out. The strongest man that I knew was defeated, unable to talk, unable to express. And we got through that final kina with just tears streaming down his face. And whether you knew or not what was going on in the actual kinnis, you felt Tishabov. There are a couple folks with uh, their mute off and phones ringing. You might want to press mute in that case. I'm going to try to mute everybody, and then if you don't want to be muted, unmute yourself again. Okay, can you still hear me? Just give me a thumb. Okay. So... Tisha B'Av has always been a very powerful day for me as an adult and someone who deals with the Tsarist of Klaistro day in, day out. There are many ordinary days when things can feel overwhelming and occasionally tears will come. And sitting and mourning the Tsarist together, though, has a power and a comfort in it. We're mourning and we're yearning together. It's a difficult day. All the Tsars were bombarded with 
if we can allow ourselves to feel, they will affect us. I've presented on shame many times before. And at first, Rabbi Shmimen kept asking me to do it. I kept delaying a lot of other things, but it's odd. I think this is the most proper way to present on shame. Sitting on the floor, mourning. All of the tragedies of Klai Yisrael are embodied in this day. The Khurban, the Crusades, the Holocaust. There isn't a single tragedy, not the collective or the individual, that is not connected with the Khurban. And this is very important to remember that the individual tragedy is part of the collective. Rav Salavechik on the Kina about the son and daughter of Rabbi Shmuel Kain Gadol, who Agav each cried about being married off to a slave. Imagine the, the, the chashivas they had of where they came from and themselves, even though they were in such a situation. He says, why are we telling the story of two individuals? It interrupts kinnis of massive tragedies and huge losses. And he says, because it's a stark reminder. One, we never overlook the individual tragedy. And two, as I mentioned to start, collective tragedies, especially past ones, are very hard to feel. We're numb, we're impervious. As Stalin said, 21 million is a statistic. One is a story. So it helps us actually connect when we connect to the individual story. And to this day, Every individual loss is part of that. When we go to a shiva house, we say, Thousands of years later, this person just lost a loved one, and you're comforting them by being part of those who are mourning the loss of Tzien and Yerushalayim. It's all one thread. So, Let's talk about, for a little bit, making it real. Interestingly, Auschwitz was liberated on January 27, 1945. And there was no kinos about that for years. If Breuer had one, but in the Hamish community, there was none for 39 years. The Amish world asked, can we have some vehicle to express our pain, the loss? The Baba Rebbe for years and years, he himself had lost tremendously in the, in, the, in the war. He felt himself unworthy of writing a kina. He said, Rabbi Eliezer he wrote with Ruach HaKodesh, he knew Kabbalistic secrets that who am I to write a kinnah? And he refused for years and years and years. In 1984, he composed a kinnah, 39 years after the liberation of Auschwitz. When the art scroll asked him for permission to put this kinnah in their kinos, he told them absolutely, and he explained what changed. He said for those years, he couldn't bring himself. He felt totally unworthy. 
One day he was studying the halachas of Tishabov in a sefer called the Seder Ayoyim, written by Ramoshe ben Yehuda Makir, is a Rosh Hashiv in Safed, and he was the colleague of the Arizal and Rabbi Yosef Cairo. And the Seder Ayoyim writes as follows, whoever can wail on this day should wail, and whoever can recite kinos should recite kinos. Either those already recorded in the holy books, or the kinos he himself composed with the intellect Hashem has granted him. It is a mitzvah for each and every individual to compose kinos, for weeping and moaning, to recite them on this bitter day. One who does this is considered most righteous and is worthy of being described as one of Yushalayim's mourners and of her holy men. The one who is not capable of composing his own personal kinos should recite the kinos written by others. And the Bible Rebbe said when he read those words, he knew it was a clear sign from Shemayim that the time had come for him to compose a kino over the last four months. Because every person, no matter how small they think they are, the real mitzvah is for them to give expression to it. After seeing this, actually, many years ago, I wrote my own kinos. And I can just tell you it is a very powerful vehicle to make Tisha B'Av more meaningful. I read it now, and I think I would have adjusted it. I was probably very sad and very angry. But it is still one of the most powerful things that I read. And so for a moment, I like us to try to attach to the suffering. It's very hard to go back to that Yeshana. Let's try to go right here, right now. Try to empathize with the suffering of those you know who are struggling physically, they're medically not well. They have cancer or a sick child. We just heard about one in yeshiva. How many of us know somebody who has struggling with tremendous choyli? I want you to pause for a moment and I'll be quiet for a moment and actually make a mental picture of them. Think of their name. If you obviously, if you know the name for Tehillim, have that in mind for a moment. If not, just put a picture in your mind of those people, and just try to imagine what kind of tsar, what kind of yogon, what kind of churban they're experiencing. I'd like us to go another step. For people who are sick, once they can get past it, they put out their names for Tehillim. People do things, b'schusam. Unfortunately, still amongst us, emotional struggles are stigmatized, are kept hidden. So I want you to think about the people you know who struggle with Parnassa, being single, they're married but they have poor shalom bias, they don't have children, somebody's emotionally unwell, maybe one of their children or they themselves struggle with the path in Yiddishkeit. What emotional issues, abuse, addiction, Ad Kedei being suicidal, or having Chaz had somebody close to you commit suicide. 
I want you to think about one of those people at least for a moment. And there, often they suffer in silence. Maybe if they're lucky, they get to come to an office like the one I'm giving this to you from. Think about what that's like. Try to empathize with that for a moment. And lastly, I know quite a few of you on this, on this video. Personally, I know some of your family members. Think about, well, some of ourselves or somebody in your immediate family struggling with anxiety, depression, in the sexual arena, shame, or feeling badly about oneself. It's a heavy day. Some people live with this all day, every day. They don't get to be yoitze reading through some kinos. They leave kinos. So a few questions I want us to try to explore is what do emotional struggles have to do with Chorban? From a very different vantage point, I want us to look at is anything that motivates me to improve or to do more mitzvahs, my Yetzir And to get into some of the emotional aspects to thinking about some of these things. I mentioned some of these statements, and I want you to think of some of these from the Yetzir Toiv or the Sahara. I'm unworthy because I don't learn or daven enough. I keep finding myself lusting or looking at pornography or something related. I'm perverted. I'm a fraud or a faker. How can I be a Yeshiva Bach or a Ben Teira and think and do these things? I'm going to really commit. I'm going to push myself to improve because I don't want to feel badly about myself anymore. Whose side is that coming from? In a different vein, why is Chaylia Nefesh often used to refer to Chet and also in our, our Averis and seemingly also referring to psychological or emotional issues? What's the connection? From a very different angle, I want you to think, are the vast majority of the thoughts in your head, your seifa? So now I'm gonna hold on to those questions for a little bit. Let's go back and start with what is Chorban? And as much as Jews as we appreciate real estate, it's not about the real estate. 
So when we go back to the source, how would you define Torah Yisrael? If you had to define Torah, the Magdirit, in one point, what would you say? And, I, and I'll, I'll take, uh, you know, a line or two from the audience if anybody wants to share how they would be Magdir, Torah Yisrael. You have to unmute yourself, though. I don't know if this is shyness or technical issues. Um, anyone want to take a stab at how they would be Magdir, Torah Yisrael? I'll go at it solo. Doesn't feel good to have to go at being solo. But um, to Revolvi in a number of places, one in particular in an epic article called Psychiatry Vidas for Laniato Hospital. It's hard read, but it's for those of you who are into psychology, it's, it's, it's profound. But he brings it in many places on the Yom Neroyim and talking to Chilonim. Uh, he, he quotes all over the place. But he says, You want to put Torah Yisrael very short. You would call it Oilam Hayididus. Oilam Hayididus probably most closely translated is to friendship, closeness, relationships. He says an amazing closeness exists between Klal Yisrael and Hashem. Hashem is close to us. We don't have to go through ceremonies. And he quotes this passage many, many, many times. It's very appropriate for Tishabov as his raya to this. It says, Yovo Yedid, Ben Yedid, the Yivne Yedid Li Yedid, the Chelkoi Shel Yedid, the Ischapurbo Yedidim. If you don't know exactly what it's referring to, it says Yedid a lot of times. So Yahweh Yedid is Shloyma Melech, because Ben Yedid was Avnovinu, and the Yivne Yedid is going to build this beloved place that, that's the base Hamikdosh. Li Yedid, Hashem is called Yedid. It's going to be in Binyamin's Chelek. You're going to be Mechaper on the Yedidim. That's Klal Yisrael. And this is almost an exact parallel to the Maral Rabbi Shmidman learned with the Chavra last week that the Beis Hamikdosh and the Koyin Gogol was all Echod, was all one purpose to unite Klal Yisrael to each other and to the Eidishter. So that's not just what the Koyim Gadol is. That's not what the Beis HaMikdosh is. That's what Judaism is. That's it, Yedidos. But it was a very interesting thing. Because when they actually built the Mikdosh, the Pasuk tells us something interesting. The Asuli Mikdosh, 
They'll make for me a mikdash, and I will dwell not b'soichoi in it. B'shachanti b'soichom, I'll dwell in them. So we often talk about the churban, the base of mikdash, the churban of Klal Yisrael. Very, very, very few people that I've ever heard talk about the churban b'soicham, the internal churban. What was basically churban is distance from Hashem. Who are we be'etzem? Chelek elikam imam. There's a godliness within us. If you trace Chorben all the way down to the Yachid, you find destruction and distance from the Chelek Elikah that's within us. Normally, all the Shmuzim are about Sinas Chinam, usually focused on others. Everybody asks the Kasha, what does Chinam mean? It's for free. Nobody gets angry at anybody for no reason. The different answers, it's not halachically mandated, it's too far, a lot of different thoughts. Those of us who study the mensch a little bit more deeply, we ask the question, who usually has a lot of hatred for others? Is it people who feel really okay with themselves? They overreact. Or does not being okay with oneself cause another person to, you know, I have to be either above you or below you is our clearest indicator that you're not okay. And when somebody else can become a threat that gets me so angry that I have this disproportionate or, or you know, that doesn't get me anywhere, that's the clearest indicator that there's sin of belief into myself. So we all, on some level, know that Sinat Chinam really deeply emanates from a poor sense of self and in a worse manifestation, hatred of the self. And Revolba actually, as later in his discussions about this Oilam Hayididus, he says, don't think this is an ideal world without any forces that go against it. He says, what's the major force that stands in contradistinction to this Yedidus, to this togetherness, he calls it koifei shel zoros, estrangement. He says there's a koyach in the men, she'enoi roitzer bekirvazois, doesn't want this closeness, wants to push away until you lose all attachment to the other. So he says it can become so scary, it calls it achzorius, where not usually he puts a hyphen in between achzorius, only strangeness, only estrangement, total detachment. And he says in the last shlav of that, you'll be a zorla atzmoy. You'll be strange to yourself. You won't be attached to the real you. And he says, where's the Pasuk about this? Where's the talk about this? And he says, 
El Zor. Shouldn't be a strange God. He says, Ezel El Zor What is this strange God that is in the body of a man? Havi Oimer That's Yetzahara. He says, what's the Koyach of Yetzahara? Zorus. Estrangement. Estrangement from self. Estrangement from other. Estrangement from the Boreolum. And he says, and that's how you get to estrangement from the Boreolum. He brings the muscle of Kas. It's not just, oh, you're so out of control. You're so estranged from who you are. You're so lost in this anger. You're so detached from your Atzimus, from your Neshama that you can break things, you can throw money, you can tear your own begotten. That estrangement can go anywhere. That kayak will push you away from others, from Hashem. So just to deepen our understanding a little bit about this, because I think most of us associate Yetzahara with don't learn, don't dive and look at preachers. Cheat a little bit where you can. We don't usually look at it as, mm, I'm going to create a little this. I'm not going to really be there for myself. I'm not going to really treat myself properly. I'm not going to really, really be super vulnerable and open with my wife. I'm not going to really tell my friend how I feel. It might hurt. He might get insulted. Distance. It's our. So, in trying to understand what, how does this Yetzirah work, Rav Dessler, in a brilliant shtickle on Bereshus, he brings Rav Chaim Velozhin. He describes the change that occurred between pre Chet Admiration, where Slabodka loves to live, you know. Pre-chet, pre-chet, Adam was totally going towards toiv, towards good, towards emes. There was no internal desire for anything else. There was nothing inside of him that says, I want something else. What dramatically shifted after the chet is the eight Sahara became internalized and actually corrupted the sense of self. In psychoanalytic theory, there's something called the false self. Now I found it in Rebchaim Velozhin. The false self is this sense, this voice inside that says, I am or I want these other things, anything other than what the Neshama craves. That distortion is the Eight Sahara. And he utilizes, that is Zorus because immediately the I want, that's not truly your neshama wanting, is estrangement from your real essence. How long am I supposed to go until, Rabbi? Unmute and answer as I have to frame this. Just oh. oh, you almost had it. It was there a second ago. Okay, so I say um, you, could, you can continue as you wish. Uh, 
I would say we should try to finish by one o'clock for the okay. basic presentation. Afterwards, anybody can stay on, they can stay on. Okay. So just briefly then, what's it really supposed to be like? <clears throat> is that a person is supposed to experience tremendous kavaratsmai, tremendous feeling of worth, that the whole world is kedayuloi. Or Volba brings down from Baby Yoyna that the Pesach Harishoin, who she agia isha oived erech atzmoi, the Yakim aloso yumaila voiso of Gdulosa Mechashibuso Mechibosa Metzal Boryasporach. The foundation is to know your value, erech atzmoi, and your tremendous maila and the maila of your ovus and where you come from. The Ishtabli Schazik Tomid Lahamid Atzmoi Bemailahi, to work constantly to engage in that Milo. And Revolva says, so if you want to know what Musr is, Limud Musr Limud Chashivus. To learn your Chashivus. And it says from the altar that Luyitzur, you could take away, you could extract all the covet from a person, he would die. We think of covet, you know, we think of food, and clothing, not even clothing, food, basically an air. So if you extracted all covet from the men, she would cease to live. So, unfortunately, the further we get from our Sinai, the weaker we become, the more distant we become from our own true essence, our neshama, and the chashivas within. So, how is this axorius manifested in the psychological terminology, modern psychological terminology? We call this shame. So, shame is really understood, and this is beautiful now how it connects, is the fear of disconnection. Is there something about me that if other people knew it or see it, they wouldn't, they would think I'm not worthy of it. They wouldn't want to connect with me. What underpins this shame? The sense that I'm not good enough. Zarus from oneself, Chashivus, will lead you to be Zar from others. That makes, if I don't feel my chashivas, it makes being vulnerable to another person very intense, very scary. If I'm going to share the real you, I'm battling with him. I deeply want to connect to you, but I'm so scared that you're going to reject me. You're not going to be pleased with me. I have this conflict. And in the research, the one variable that connected people who have a strong sense of love and belonging from people who struggle with it is one thing whether they believe that they're worthy of that. If you believe you're worthy, you go out there and you embrace vulnerability. This is, I'm worthy, I'm gonna connect with some people. If you don't believe you're worthy, vulnerability is too difficult. Shame is the most powerful master emotion. It's the fear that we are not good enough. And in the lens of what we're describing, 
It's axorious to the self, beating the self up. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. If and when I do X, Y, Z, then I'll be worthy. As I am, who I am today, unworthy. And many people think, oh, yeah, because if I didn't do all those Averis from before, no. The Koyach Vachzorius, the Koyach of shame. Because the person who's really sensed his Chashivas, when he does Averis, he feels, oi, it's beneath me. Not, oi, I'm so unworthy, I better run away from this feeling. But it can be very, very sneaky. So, right, let's differentiate briefly guilt from shame. So this is very different. Shame in Torah language, busha, is not what we're describing shame in the research. Busha, actually, our baby Yoinis says, Kol mi is You're not embarrassed from your nefesh. You don't have chashivas for your nefesh. Busha and Torah is actually, Baishonin is actually a sensitivity. Do you know how exalted and how amazing, how wonderful I am and how, so how that's beneath me? It's not shame as we call it. So guilt is chefzedek. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. Did an action. It's a maisa, not chefzedek. Maisa, I did an action. Shame is God. I'm sorry. I am a mistake. I'm not worthy enough. And guilt is correlated with many positive things. The ability to hold on to one's chashivas and say that was beneath me, that is incredibly adaptive. Shame, on the other hand, is correlated with addiction, depression, violence, aggression, bullying, eating disorders, and suicide. But post-chate, other and things can get real confusing. Because shame can be one of the biggest drivers for seemingly avoidance Hashem. can be a powerful motivating force. I feel unworthy. I feel worthless. I feel like I'm a pervert. I'm a sicko. I'm a fraud. All these kinds of things. That is powerful rocket fuel, sometimes much more powerful than we can access in the positive realm. And that often is what drives perfectionism, the need to make everything go because it's compensation. I'm feeling so negative about myself. I imagine if I could get that Aleph plus, if I could master that sugya, if they'll acknowledge, oh, look at me, if I become that London, if I really dive with Kavana, if, 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 if I'm Ashpia more Talmidan, then. It's not running towards good, it's running away from negative. The striver for excellence, in contrast, the person who's he wants more and more toiv. He wants more good. He said, wow, that's amazing. I'm going to go get more of that. More truth, more reality, more positivity, more yeditos. Versus running away. But on the surface, you could have two guys who are actually chavrusas. They're learning the same exact amount of time. They're learning the same exact sugya. Two guys who are next to each other in shul. Two guys are learning the daf, doesn't matter what it is. The mice and more look the same, but the motivation is drastically different. And toxic shame turns you into a human doing, keep doing, 
because toxic save says your being is flawed and defective. That's from John Bradshaw. So for a moment, I want you to tap into what does shame feel like? And most people say, I don't experience shame. Well, here, here are the options. You experience shame or you're a psychopath. Because everybody, besides for psychopaths, experiences shame. So either you're in denial, you're scared to admit it, which is okay, or you're psychopathic, which is a whole different schmooze and that's scary. So try to identify what makes you feel shame. When do you have that feeling, I'm not good enough? Try to pause for a moment and tap into when you can experience that. So, and I want you to extrapolate, try to imagine feeling that much more intensely, more frequently. What do you imagine life being like then? What, was it, what, what if it was a dominant feeling in your life? So I got shame basically makes it like you have a hole in your bucket. You keep trying to pour in things and you might pour in a ton and for a while it looks like the bucket's getting full. It just drips out because you're not okay with yourself. So if we look at this now through the Torah lens, the more shame you experience, the less you're experiencing your true atzmis as the chelak elikamimah. Try this on for size. Shame, hatred of self. I'm not good enough. I'm unworthy. That's mamish sinashino. That's baseless hatred. That is hatred that's really coming from others. We'll touch on that in a moment. From the Kayachayetsa that uses it. It's not based on the true view, it's not based on the true you. And the greatest tragedy of Sinashina is it destroys Vishakanti Bisoicham. Shame stands in contradistinction to your soul. The more you're searching for worth, by definition, the further away you are, because you are worthy. Again, the more you're searching for worth, how much I learn, how many Talmudim I have, how much money I have, how many people I help, it don't matter what a parent I am, it doesn't matter what you're using. The more you're looking for worth, the further you are, because you are worthy. It is Be'etzen. So by definition, you can't look for something that's be'etzem. And if you are, you're lost. You're further and further and further away from it. 
It's important to also realize you didn't create shame. Nobody I know woke up in the morning and said, my life has been going too well. I've been feeling too positively. I'd like to feel worthless, unworthy, not good enough, terrible feelings of vulnerability, inability to connect. So we described how there's a koyak in the mensch. But the Torah has a tremendous emphasis on how we treat people. Are we mechabed people? Are we nice to people? We give them tzedakah, we do chesed, versus soine, sinachinam, lashin hara, embarrassment, making habanas panim, two extremes. What's the real difference? I built him up, I was him. I knocked him down. So somehow in the Bria, it affects two sides. When you mechabed somebody, as Revolba says, it's kaveh, it's heavy. You treat them with weightiness. You, you connect them and manifest their atzmias, their chelik elikah. You bring that more out into awareness. When you treat someone lightly, kal, klala, you, to use a borrow a Christian phrase, you partner with the devil. You are now a shutif with the yetzahara, the koyachazoros, because the person will internally, their voice will say louder and louder, I'm unworthy. If my own parents, if Rabbeim, people who represent Torah from Yidin, don't view me with covering, I will become more with the Kale Zor, estrangement for myself and Zorus, Achzor, to myself. That voice of Chaim Shemlevit says that terrible switch that happened will become internalized. And you can stop doing it. You can walk away. If you did it enough, that Kayach will be so powerful, the person will do it all by themselves. So, But let's think about what really is going on. When we have shame, so there's a part of me, this voice in my head that says I'm unworthy, is fighting with the other part of me. That senses I'm tremendously worthy. Also, you're arguing with Hashem. Hashem says nothing in creation is bad. You the whole world, as a Bria, as a Nivra, before you did anything, it was to worthy of receiving the ultimate oinik. So you arguing with the Bayer Shem argues with you. 
And the Shem argues with you. The Torah argues with you. But you have shame for a reason. It's there. It's this tremendous Kayach of Zoros. It is a vehicle for you to overcome because that's what helps you ultimately manifest your true cover. And it is one of the most potent things to actually help you be sensitive to others. Psychopaths cannot experience the emotional pain of another. I don't think it's odd that we need to experience some shame to have the capacity for empathy. Um, it's very limited time, but I'm going to try uh, something I, I, I haven't presented on in the past, the difficult idea on. Something that might help change this. So I want you to pause for a moment and just notice, ever notice that you have a mental dialogue going on, in, on inside your head? Right? Have you ever wondered why it talks in there? This is directly from a book called The Untethered Soul. How does it decide what to say, when to say it? How much of what it says turns out to be true? How much of what it says is even important? And if right now you're hearing, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have any voice inside my head. That's the voice. If you're smart, you'll take time, step back, and look at this voice. Get to know it better. Normally, you're too close to it to be objective. You have to stay way, step way back and watch it converse. And when you'll do this, you'll notice the voice never stops talking. It's actually an amazing kind of thing. Try to stop thinking, even for a few seconds. You can try it now. Try to stop, try not to have any thought. I guarantee you won't make 10 seconds. I'm gonna do it on the clock. Just going. So, it never stops talking. And so imagine if you walk down the street and you saw somebody He's constantly talking to himself. You think it's strange. If he's the one talking and he's the one listening, he obviously knows what he's going to say. What's the point? Same is true for the voice inside our head. We're talking and we're listening. It's real confusing. So it can actually be a pretty shocking realization when you first notice that your mind is constantly talking. You might even try to yell at it, stop talking. But then it's actually the voice yelling at the voice. So the best way to actually just create some distance here is to not try to do anything, just notice. Just notice the voice talking. Okay, we talked about shame beforehand. And so that's the voice we don't want to hear. Oh, I'm bad, I'm not good enough, I'm unworthy. But maybe the voice that says, no, you're a pretty good guy. I like that voice. Turns out they're just both talking inside your head. They're not you. If you can observe them, subject versus object, right? If I 
am listening, right? If I could watch this, if I could observe this, then it can't be me. So no matter what the voice says, it's still just a voice talking and you're listening. There's nothing that the voice can say that is actually more you than anything else. It's kind of like a muscle of like watching a movie. So really good movies are profoundly made to draw you in. So your heart's racing, you're part of the characters. And then all of a sudden, if somebody walked past you, interrupted, you pull away, you're watching the movie. All of a sudden you're calm, you can't be as in it because you switched from being lost in the movie to being aware that you're just watching it. So one of the greatest tools to deal with shame or any other thoughts, it's good for anxiety thoughts, it's good for all chatter in our head, 90, probably 8% of the chatter in our mind is just chatter. It's not the Seichel, and I could prove it to you because we did it before, you couldn't stop it for 10 seconds. You're not in control of it. It's in control of you. And it's totally unproductive. So when you're using your Seichel as a whole different mitzis. So anytime you can make some distance, and get into what's called the observer position, you'll immediately feel it's not going to be perfect and it might not last even two seconds, but you'll start the process of creating some distance, some rechuk from this Elzar inside of you that has taken you hostage in the I am. It helps you distance. You're not, you realize it's not the actual I because I can watch it. Even when you say, I feel versus I am, even if you change how you look at things, that immediately creates a certain distance. I feel there's an I that's experiencing rather than it's just totally wrapped up in. So paradoxically, I know we emphasize, especially in Shiva, this tremendous focus on the mind, the mind, the mind. It's a terrible tragedy because 98% of your mind is the chatter. It's not, you have to know what mind am I identifying with? And the biggest goal is to de-identify with this mind because this mind is probably much more the Koyach of the Yitzhahara than the Koyach HaSeicha. Okay, so just in the interest of time, the more you can get close to the true eye, to that, I don't know if that's the observer, it's already outside the realm, you know, without getting taught Kabbalah. I'm not sure we can fully go there, but at least certainly it's more distance from shame and more positivity of the self is in the service of the Eitzotoyev and the Chelek Elikamima. And the more we tap into our essence, Right? It's all coming down to Ani Hashem. If we can notice the Ani Hashem inside of us, and we can notice the Ani Hashem in somebody else, and we can lose this voice and this chatter and this insecurity that comes along with your sense of self always being in flux, then you can really be Yedid to your Neshama, Yedid to another, Yedid to Hashem.
And that's the connection between chet and chalia nefesh. Mitzvahs are connection, chet, disconnect. One is a disconnect from Hashem through the spiritual barriers that create rechuk in that way. And one is through this aspect where I'm czar for myself in this regard. But they're both fundamentally estrangement, missing the mark. So, and that's really what Shalom is all about. And even in the pathway to prayer, you'll see in some of the, at some point we talk about Shalom internally. So if you're a Roide Shalom, like the Kayin Gadol, like the Beis HaMikdash is all about, you pursue inner harmony and peace with the aspects of yourself, realizing this is just a Kayach in there, doesn't have to define you. And it's there to challenge you to bring out the full expression of the Chelek Elikami Ma'am, the same thing for another, then we have a much better shot of moving away from Sinas Chinom and having true Ava and connection and Yedidos. And it literally, just to end, you know, it just turned Chatzois this moment. Chatzos is a bizarre time on Tisha B'Av. We're about to stand up and change. Chatzos is actually the time when the Beis HaMikdosh became engulfed in flames. And it burned through tomorrow. I mean, well, actually today because it's Nidcha, through the 10th. Why all of a sudden the engulfing is when we, okay, the lighter parts of the day come true. This is an imperative lesson about Chorba. Till the Jews saw the Beis burning up, they were terrified that it was going to be clear. There was going to be other destruction. Hashem was waiting. And when the decision came down that I'm going to take it out on the Etz and the Avonim, yes, I'll be merachik myself. But Klal Yisroh, will have Q. And like so many of those people in the war who saw many pass away, but saw one kid survive, one other person survive, somebody from the Mishpacha, somebody from the town, the Kiyom of Kla Yisro is a tremendous Nechama because we're all part of that unit and that's the only thing that will bring us all back together. Ki ish echod echod the last kino we read was Alei Tzioin. We end with that because it talks about the enormity of pain that a mother is going through during childbirth. But she knows that at the end of that, there's going to be this birth of a child. For so many people, there's no sense of Alei Tzioin when it comes to their shame, to that feeling of unworthiness, feeling of disconnect. And one of the things we need to bring to ourselves and to others is it's all there with the cheshven. It is all part of the process of individual and collective healing. 
that will give forth till the base of Mikdash is built more sensitive, more connected people who don't judge others, who don't stigmatize others, who are in the trenches, in each and every one in their own way, helping themselves, helping their brothers and sisters, helping their family, helping Klaisra. And so many of you on this video today are huge doers of Klaisra, for Klaisra. There's no bigger, smaller, each one doing their role with their uniqueness. And that itself is part of the childbirthing. And it has toyelas. And each of you has found a way to make meaning of your struggle. Lastly, it's brought down from the Chidah that Mashiach will be born on Tishabov. And he'll be called Menachem. And it's my bracha to all of us and to those of us who sit every day with the pain of Klaisra that we will experience Menachem and that comfort quickly in our days and we'll be united back with Yedidus to ourselves, to each other, and Takadish Baruch Thank you. I'm here and I will take questions, comments, or anything of the sort. One question, if I may. Uh, are there any other um, down to earth practical suggestions that you could give um, towards working? Um, to climb above these uh, tendencies towards shame that we have. So, pretty much if you think about basically every school of therapy, probably any school of chizuk, it's really all about trying to give a person relief from these underlying negative feelings. And there are schools that work on combating the thoughts, right? The issue with combating them is you're in them, but many times to get them down, you have to realize, okay, this is a fake voice. Let the voice play out. Spend an hour, write down everything the voice says, and then see, is this taka, is this taka true? Is this correct? Whose perspective is this? Yeah. Do I view an ax murderer like this? That's one thing. For many schools of thought, the more we, you know, we understand the cause, it can feel pretty crazy to just have this koach. So the more you understand it as a koach, the more you understand it as having come from outside sources, maybe totally unintentionally, parents, educators, right? Everybody has experienced shame. Shame doesn't come without shamers. That creates a rechuk from it just being me. The other pieces are, instead of fighting, is to be able to sit with. And there are levels and levels. I gave a technique to 
distance from the voice. Many things are just to even sit with emotions and negativity and just learn to ride them because emotions, if you don't block them, they come and go. And you'll see the waves. There are many different things. Obviously, one of the biggest shame reducers is being vulnerable and connecting to another person who could help reflect back to you truth. And this whole fear of disconnect, if you really open your kishkis and you really tell them everything, the avarice, the perversion of this, the answer, and they don't chuckle a second. Their relationship with you doesn't change. They're able to relate to you in that proper fashion, that's very, very healing. And on some level, if you use this idea, the more you could do that with yourself, that like, you know, there's a part of being able to disengage totally from this voice. And I gave you sort of the spitz. But even if you gave it voice to us, you know, little schleimy, and you listen to him and you say, okay, I hear you, Shefu. It's going to be okay. Right? To be able to hold it, because who's holding it? Again, that's the deeper you. But okay, you're not ready to just poof away from it, but you humble the voice. There are many, many different things. And basically, if you really look carefully and you stay what's really the sort of active ingredients of all the helping phenomenon, it's to help, you know, fight, live with, diminish the level of emotional intensity, the level of attachment to this negativity, giving it some externality. So it's not just mamish I am, because that's where it's most, most destructive. I think that the Nakuda that you mentioned about this being a, an aspect of the Sahara, an aspect of the Sayyid challenge for a person to have to grow above that and thereby connect with his real true self, maybe can also help for us to be sort of accepting of it. And even though it's quite uncomfortable and quite unpleasant, but if it play a role in that process of my discovering the equal and opposite truth, uh, then um, maybe we could be sort of like tolerant of it. Like this is part of what Hashem wants me to have to struggle with. And that's the vehicle of my eventually coming to the car of the MS that's opposite of this. Absolutely. I think, again, we have a tremendous misnomer that, you know, Yiddishkeit is in this outside sphere of just learning or davening or treating others with respect. Like we hear an occasional schmooze, Hillel in the bathhouse, but we don't really relate to the internal struggle as the epic battle between Yetzirah and Yetzirah and treating oneself with respect and tapping more into that as foundational to avoid the Hashem, to building the sense of self, which is really, again, the bedrock. So it can be very hard, though, because our natural association to this and where I was many, many years ago in some epic battles in some of the branches were because um, it, then it's viewed as, oh, you're spiritually deficient. OK, so we'll work with just the moon and the But until you can have this, until you could see where it's 
from until you can handle with empathy, it doesn't touch any of it. You're just beating yourself up more. Oh, if only if I was a bigger mind man, if only I had more betachin, I wouldn't feel this way. It must be really my betachin is so bad because I don't feel, not only don't I feel security, I feel like the whole world, I think God's out to get me. So until you're really working through, chain through this lens, it can be very, very dangerous. And that's why it's probably taken me so long to be able to come to put this within the context of Cholia Nefesh, Yetzirah. But it has a very different feel than just, okay, okay. You, you have less emuna betachen or you're less connected. It's coming from a whole different element of the self, the false self. Anybody else? Some of you I know are not shy. I can tell by your names. They, they, they need a while to process it. <laughs> they, have to, they have what to process. That's the shy. I don't know if I... Very hard to do this without feedback. I have no idea if you lost somebody. Who knows where? I really think you should have a follow-up in a week. <laughs> I hear. Okay. Take that under advisement. Um, any other thoughts or we, could, we, we, we can end it otherwise? I want to add a drish word before you end. Good. <laughs> in the Kavanah of Tzfilin, just fitting right in, Kavanah of Tzfilin, we say... Um, and we want to put it fill next to the heart to put into the service of Hashem the tavos and the machshavos of our heart. It doesn't say that we should have tavos and machshavos to want to serve Hashem. We should put thereby into the service of Hashem all our tavos and all our thoughts. So tavos includes, you know, gezel arayis. Obviously, there could be a consciousness of I'm putting my tavos to be for the purpose of serving Hashem, and I'm aware of that, and I have to have them. And now we understand what it means by that all those thoughts in our heart that might be pulling us away, we're putting those also into the service of Hashem to use them as the vehicle to become who we need to become. So just, just Agav, yes, I, I think, and uh, in the more... Hasidish-oriented Torah, there's a lot to discuss about that. Um, one of my chaverim has uh, mentioned this is, this, well, a lot of what I mentioned has its bearing in both mindfulness and meditation. And, you know, everybody's got a different name for different things. Uh, so mindfulness is usually being aware without judgment of the thoughts and feelings. There's Meditation that if you focus on the here and now, just bringing yourself into the now is very powerful. The mind, the chatter, the, that unhealthy ego, it's not always in the past or the future. Bringing yourself to what's this current second is very helpful. And just Agav, the only place you can serve Hashem is this current second. It's the only reality. Havar, Havar, Sidadayim. Right? So it's only here. Um, and this higher level 
is sort of the awareness, the separateness by what, by noticing that I'm observer, putting your consciousness, which that's the Tifrish move, into this, that I am watching these thoughts and these emotions, and I'm aware that I'm watching it, gives me this sense and gives me the sense that this self in there exists. And now, Aga, that self is not full of neuroses. It's not full of anxieties. It's not full of chatter. It's not full of shame. It can observe. And so the more you pull there, the, the less you experience the negativity. And you don't be in a spell. That itself is a whole avoid the sachayim. Push, pull, push, pull, push, pull. And don't be in a spell from that, that, you know, who knows how much percentage of the time you end up in the movie versus watching it. But when you can even taste watching, you can have a sense, oh, there's, there's a guy in there that's not neurotic. They didn't know. <laughs> Very comforting. And the more you can eventually, if you can learn to see this, you know, he, he says, it's like, you know, you can watch like the chatter of a young child. You, you look at it with an amusement. Oh, there goes the shame. The more you can hear, here's an, maybe a helpful device. I use this in my practice a lot. You know, you can think about it as just something that's inside you. Chaz Shalom, if this happened, it would probably be very helpful. If somebody went with their shame and went to the top neurologists and oncologists in the world, and they said, okay, we did an MRI, and we have some good news and bad news. The bad news is you have a brain tumor. It is sitting on the negative speech center of your brain, and it's pressing there, and so all day long, it's shooting off worries, negativity, shame-based information. That's the bad news, it's there. The good news is it's non-cancerous and it's not growing. So then you wouldn't identify it as I am, that's the tumor talking. Never, we see this with people, even who have to deal with people with you know, dementia and other conditions, they can understand that's not the person. For ourselves, we could view it with that distance, Yetzara, tumor, false self, whatever name you want to call it, as long as it's not I, and you become more okay with being, your life and those around, of the lives of those around you will be improved. Can I, ask, can I ask, or just one more question? Sure. So earlier, were you, it sounded like you were linking, if I understood correctly, you were linking the capacity, um, or at least, you know, the the, uh, the experiencing of shame with the capacity for empathy. Um, and it sounded like you you were you were audible and then you cut out and I saw the mute button on your I think go on and off. So I caught you about linking it. Okay, how about now? Now go ahead. Back your back. Yeah, so right, so right. So it just sounded like it sounded like you were linking the capacity for empathy with the capacity for shame. Um, is that, is that accurate? And if it is, what do you mean? So I got, um, I took on a Kabbalah many years ago to things that came to my head, the Shas sessions and the Shas things I, I would say. So that's a Kiddush that I deherit, the Shas Maisa. Um, so it's, I, I can't tell you it's 
super worked out. But those who have the, the sense of pain of others, right? And they also have a sense of connection. They can deeply empathize with others, right? The, one of the things we see very clearly is psychopaths, they have incredibly hard time empathizing with pain. And so empathy doesn't exist and they're not able to really, excuse me, relate on an emotional level. They could use it for their advantage, but they can't really experience it. And it seems also, it's like where Rishman was talking about, I'm struggling mightily with everything in the mensch has a potential positive tachlis. And so I'm working on, you know, what is the positive tachlis of this? Okay, you could always come on to, okay, it's just an assign. It's just to overcome. But it's mashma, even, you know, bloodthirst. You know, you could become a male, you become a surgeon versus a murderer, right? Kemat everything, there's place for caste, there's place for asset. Kemat everything has its place. And so it just dawned on me what I was talking about, and I was recently, whatever, I'm, I was involved in the sugi of psychopathy recently, that... Right, that ability to experience unworthiness and that lack is probably very linked to empathy because if you can't identify that real struggle of the human, you can't really connect. Now it's probably a continuum. There's probably many feelings that one can relate to and they have a broken area of understanding the emo- you know, really empathizing with the emotions of others. But I, my, my experience is that, in general, I think the Nisoyan is made that people who have been through a lot and people who are very sensitive Nishamas, we call them, um, have tremendous capacity for, for empathy. And they probably, my, my, my sneaking suspicion is that, that that's a longer continuum, that ability to be sensitive causes oneself to potentially be very, you know, sensitive and potentially feel inadequate, but it's also on the flip side, the kayak to be sensitive to another. Okay. I wonder, is that, is that unique to shame? Or would you say that about like all of our like base human emotions, meaning does right. psychopath well, well, lack well, the capacity to feel lots of emotions? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, emotions that we say are not like on a, on a dial. You can't put up the, the two different dials. You can't put up the positive emotions and down the negative ones. People who are more mirugash, people who are more sensitive to emotion in general, um, probably have that as well as, you know, on, on all levels. And like we said, shame is just a master emotion. It's sort of underneath so many of them. So absolutely, I, I don't think it would be unique the shame experience i think it would sort of culminate in the shame experience Hmm. thank you okay well it's been a privilege oh